Hey, it's Erica. And before we hop into this week's episode, I just wanted to let you know that the next Revive Woman Girls Night Out is coming up. It's happening Friday, January 13th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And you can join us either in person at the Revive Church of Tampa campus in West Tampa, or you can join us online. You can go to revivewoman.org slash FB, and we'll be streaming live to our Facebook page. Now, I want to encourage you, if you're going to join us online, why don't you gather a few of your girlfriends together and watch it together? Actually make it be an experience that has a relational component to it. I'm telling you, you'll have such a better experience if you do it with other women. All right. But here's the deal. We're going to be talking about pioneering in this next season. And I understand I'm not a big fan of people using these sorts of events as consumptive events, meaning I don't think that it's to your benefit to just come to something and listen to a message that might tickle your ears and get you a little excited. I want you to come because you want to be poured into because you know that this is your time to step out and to pioneer for the Lord and bring the kingdom and you need equipping. You need encouragement and you need empowering. And we've got that for you. That's what's on offer if you come and join us for Girls Night Out on Friday, January 13th. So here's the deal. Go to revivewoman.org slash G-N-O info. I want you to RSVP. Let me know whether you're coming in person or online and then get your hopes up. It's time to pioneer, girl. Let's do it together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode. So this is an interesting one. I'm just going to sit down with a cup of coffee. Actually, I don't have a cup of coffee. I've got a, I've got a ice water. <laughs> and we're just going to chat a little bit about what it looks like to be in a season of the rise of the reformer in a revivalist culture. If you're ready for this conversation, I want you to grab your Bible, your journal, and a pen, and let's go. Well, hey there, and welcome back to the Position to Prosper podcast. I'm your host, Erica Pyle. And today we're going to be talking about the rise of the reformer in a revivalist culture. So that's a mouthful. What are we talking about? First and foremost, I need you to know this is just it's it's just a conversation. I'm not teaching something today so much as I'm releasing something. And if you catch it, then it's for you. If you are not catching it and you're like maybe offended by it even, or you're just like, Erica, I just don't get where you're coming from, then maybe it's not for you. Maybe, maybe this is just not the message for you. But here's the thing: if you have been experiencing um, making a sound into the earth for Jesus and his kingdom, you've been consistently making that sound and you feel like it's falling on deaf ears. You feel like you're shouting into the void. You feel like, you know, it's just you're shouting into the wind and you're hearing it come back to you as an echo, but you're not seeing the fruitfulness that you expected right in front of you. If you feel like you are thoroughly convicted of what God has called you to speak and to bring in this season, and yet you're not seeing the fullness that you expected of the fruit that should, quote unquote, should be coming off of what you're doing, then it's very likely that you are designed and called to be a reformer in this season. And so I want to talk to you about that today, because I feel like it's one of the places that the enemy will try to get you stuck. And we need reformers in this season. And I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. Um, But I just want you to have a notebook and a pen with you and just be prepared to take down some notes as we go through. 
uh, because I really believe that this is going to hit a place in you that if if this is relevant for you, if you've been having this experience, then I truly believe that you could have some healing in this moment because I think you're going to feel very seen and very known and very heard. And this was my experience. You know, over the last few years, I've been sharing words that I received from the Lord about the church and about the transitioning church, about how the church, you know, two, three years ago, the Lord told me three years ago, the Lord told me that there was a schism coming to the church and that we were going to have to cross the river. And I struggled with that word for a little while because I was like, who the heck am I to tell people that they're doing it wrong? Who the heck am I to tell people that they're on the wrong side of a river? But here's the thing, understand that when you're prophetic and when you're receiving words from the Lord, that they're not your own. <laughs> you know, my life verse is 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20, you're not your own. You were bought at a price, so honor God with your body. And for me, it means so much more than just stewarding my health. It means so much more than just making sure that I'm sanctified and fit for service in my body and in my life. It also means understanding that Anything that God gives me, anything that he's made me to do, anything that he has assigned me, it's it's all for his glory and it's not mine. And that I was bought at a price to be able to be a sound maker for him. And so when he makes a sound to me that says, hey, look, I want my people to know, I want the church to know that there's a schism, that there's a river running through them right now, and that they're going to have to make a decision to get to the other side because that's where I am. Um my job right there is not to think to myself in false humility, let's just be clear, because it's pride to go, mm, you know what, I don't want to say that because people are going to think that I'm saying that, you know, half the church or whatever isn't the real church. And listen, I slowed myself down a whole lot. Because it's the heart of the Lord that we would be reconciled to him. It's the heart of the Lord that we would be followers of Jesus. You know that there's that scripture where Jesus says, look, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to turn around and say, I didn't know you. Who are you? I didn't know you. Like, get away from me. And we've got to understand that that's a very real possibility for many for many in this day and age that say, no, I'm a Christian. And their form of Christianity is I go to church on Sundays, maybe I read my Bible, but I am walking in a fullness of hyper mercy. That is not what the Lord intended. I, I am taking mercy beyond what biblical mercy is what God said in his word is is his mercy, and I'm making it my own. And that is a form of pride that says I know better than God how to love people. And we aren't about that. And if you stand up, and that's what you're about, understand something. That's something that's going to get you to a place where the Lord would say, listen, I don't, I don't know you. You know, you don't know me. I don't know you. And we've got to, we've that right there, that right there, just, just headline. That's a reformer thought right there. Okay. Because what I'm coming to realize as we step into this season, and this has been coming for me over the last three years is you look back and if you've been very active in church world over the last few decades, you know that a massive sound in the spirit-filled community, so Pentecostal charismatic communities, um, non-denominational communities, has been this idea of revival. And revival isn't new. Like, come on. We, we, you read your Bible and you understand that it's, you know, David was for the revival and bringing the worship into the, you know, 
into the temple or he that he wanted to build a temple. Um, you know, you go through the scriptures and you see that there are just these moments where the hearts of the people are just so drawn to lift, lift worship and praise to their God and to see his power, to see his might, to see the signs, miracles, and wonders, and to know that he's moving mightily in the earth. And that is a heart for revival. And I got to tell you something, you know, every, every believer, every follower of Jesus has that in them because we all want to be filled with his spirit. We all want to feel him tangibly. We all want to have that manifestation experience with God. And we truly believe because we've seen the life of Jesus, right? We've watched the life of Jesus play out in the gospels. We understand that it's the signs, miracles, and wonders that Jesus did that gathered the crowd to himself, right? When when he would walk into a town, how, how would they know that he was there? And why would people be talking about it? Because of the signs, miracles, and wonders that he was doing, right? Because, you know, I mean, you could take any of the stories where he gathered a crowd and and you'll know, like he was doing signs, miracles, and wonders, and people were talking about him and saying, come see this guy. You know, I love the story of the the um, that woman at the well. And she's like, she runs off and she goes, come meet a man who told me everything that I ever did. And she gives her testimony and, and the community, the village believes because of her, they come and they see him. And then the scripture says, and then they came to believe in him because they experienced him, not just because of her testimony. And so we understand that revival is vital. It's important because it's what draws the crowd. It's what draws the whosoevers into the conversation so that the salvation of God, so that that transformative power of God might come to them, convict them and see them changed and made into a new creation. Understand? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you have revival, but you don't have a solid foundation, you are going to wind up losing the crowd. Just stick with me because I'm telling you, we are in a season where it is imperative that the reformers rise. And I got to tell you that I believe that a lot of this new generation are actually reformers. I know that there's a loud sound in the church even now for revival, revival, revival. We got to get, revival's got to touch this next generation. They've got to get excited. Let me tell you something. This, this next up and coming generation is about standard. They're about absolute truth. This, this generation is like, I'm not moving if you don't, if you don't convince me of the cause. I'm not moving and I'm not going to commit my life to anything if it's not a standard. And if I can't know at the depths of my being that this is truth, they've been, they've been strung along for too long. And part of it, I believe, is that we have a church right now who is, is more excited than spirit filled. Under, I understand that revival is about stoking the fire on the altar and consecrating and presenting ourselves before the Lord as a living sacrifice and trying to keep that going. But understand something. If you do not have a solid foundation under that, if you don't, if you can't fuel the fire, are you hearing me? If you cannot fuel the fire with the absolute truth of God, and that is the goal of reformation, then understand something. Your fire is going to go out. If you look at the history of revival, over the generations, here's something that is almost guaranteed to happen. And it's because it keeps on happening. We have not seen a revival that hasn't run out, right? We have these 
points of revival and these seasons of revival, and then they run out. And we have people in this generation who it is their endeavor that they would have a revival that would continue into the next generation. But even they are recognizing like, hey, it's hard to keep a revival going from generation to generation. Why is that? It might be, I'm just going to put it out there. It might be because if you have a generation that is running after revival, but they haven't done the work of teaching their children about the foundations well enough, the basic, boring, bland, black and white foundational truths and theology of God, if they haven't, like the Psalms say, told the stories of God to their children, then their children are going to rebel. There needs to be a foundation. There needs to be the fuel to the fire. And I believe that in a generation, if you're going to, if you're going to be, um, fired up for revival, we've got to be just as fired up for the foundations. And a reformer is one who comes along and says, you know what? This foundation is not sufficient. Now, I'm not talking about Christ, so don't get me twisted. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, because apostolically speaking, that's how I see things, and that's how I think, and that's how I function and lead. So if you look at what's coming down out of heaven, the pattern that's coming down out of heaven, our foundation is Jesus Christ. And then Ephesians tells us that it's, then the apostles and the prophets are on top of that. And then we build on that, okay? That's scriptural. That's that's biblical. But, you know, if we're starting to think like foundations as it pertains to what we're doing as the church, yes, we start with Christ as the foundation, and then we've got the apostles and the prophets, and we build from there. But in the natural, we're not perfect. In the natural, we see in part and we hear in part. In the natural, we're human. And so, when I say we have to look at that foundation and we have to reform the foundation, what I'm really saying is we need to align in the natural what God is calling for in the, in the spiritual. Are you, are you tracking with me? That we need to manifest into the natural the alignment with that foundation that God is calling for. And that is an apostolic perception. That's an apostolic perspective to be able to say, look, we know it is truth that Jesus is our foundation. And then Ephesians tells us, Paul tells us to the, in the letter to Ephesians that the apostles and the prophets come on top of that. Why? What is the value of that? It's because it's the apostles and the prophets that call out that pattern, that call out that foundation, that know how to build skillfully on top of that. And so I'm telling you as an apostolic prophetic person that there is a reform that's needed. We have some cracks in the foundation, the way that it's manifested. We have some cracks in the foundation church and we have to go back to our first love. We have to go back to the foundation of Jesus and we have to ask the question, how would he do it? How does he do it? How does he see it? What is the word of God? What is the absolute truth of God coming out of heaven? And how do we reform back to that? That's why I think it's so interesting that reformation in the church is the new becoming old and the old becoming new. There's nothing new under the sun, right? That's what Solomon told us in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new, but what's true is what God has said. And so his word endures and Jesus is the foundation. And we have a responsibility as the body of Christ to look at how we're walking, look at what we're doing and say, does this look as though we are standing on the firm foundation of Christ? 
And if revival is going out, if the fires are not continually burning, if we're experiencing struggle and strife as we try to keep that fire burning to the point where in some circles, it's become just excitement and what I call woo-wooery, then we've got to think back and go, what, what are we doing at the foundation level? And I believe that in these coming years, it's going to be a lot about God rising up reformers who are willing to stand in the midst and say, you know what? I love that you're gathering a crowd by, by showing them the power and the prominence of God and his spirit. And that's amazing. But you're going to need what I do as a reformer to be able to provide the fuel for that fire that you've just set. And, and as a reformer, and if you identify as this, we are the ones who are the basic logs. <laughs> you know, I talked about it earlier today on my social media as being like a candle and you've got the flame on the candle. But listen, that flame ain't going to do nothing if there's not a wick. The wick boring, y'all. It is so boring, the wick. But can I tell you something? In my 20s, I was a candle girl. I had a, I had a small business. Okay. I had a social selling business and I was the candle lady. And I had to learn everything there was to know about the wax of the candle, about the scent of the candle, and about the wick of the candle. And I had an inordinate amount of information about the wicks that our company used when they produced these candles. And there were some very vital facts to know about these wicks. Now, here's the deal. Did the people really care? Not so much. They just wanted to know that the flame wasn't going to go out. They just wanted to know that they were going to get every ounce of what was put into that candle for what they paid for. Does that make sense? So in in like as indirectly, they cared about the wick because if my wick that I was selling them in their candle was subpar, if it wasn't fit for the job, then guess what? They were going to come back complaining and their fire was going to go out. Are you feeling me? And so for some of us, when we're the reformers, and I believe that this is the season of the rise of the reformer, and God is calling the reformers to make a sound in this, in this season, we're the ones that are the wicks, and, and we're the ones on which the fire, it rides. And if we're not doing our part, if we're not providing the fuel, if we're not providing, I understand in a candle, it's about the wax is really the fuel. So fine, the reformers, the wax and the, and the wick. But I need you to understand that what you do as a reformer, calling out the truth, resetting the foundations, think about Nehemiah. Okay. The book of Nehemiah, when I think about the Bible, and if I thought about a book that was most um, descriptive in my light, like, um, like, it represented me at my core, it would be the book of Nehemiah because I have the heart of Nehemiah and I get it. I get it. Like I'm moved to tears when I think about the fact that he went there and he walked around those walls for three days and he took the assessment and he had an emotional, I can guarantee you, he had an emotional experience and a mental experience seeing these walls torn down because he knew, he knew these are the walls that keep the people of God safe. These are the walls that prosper the people of God. These are the walls that are meant to cover and to, and to protect the people of God. And he had this just heart, this drive on the inside of him to rebuild, to restore and to make safe. And I truly believe that if you have the heart of a reformer, if that's your assignment in the earth, that you have a deep and abiding desire to see the foundation set right. 
And not to be legalistic, because sometimes that's what you're going to be accused of, is being legalistic. You know, people are going to be like, oh, listen, you know, we're, we're here for the fire. We're here for the excitement. We're here to see the manifestation of the power of God. And I'm like, that's great. But if you want to keep that in your church, if you want to keep that in your home, if you want to keep that going through the generations, then we've got to make sure that the foundations are set. We got to make sure that the walls are appropriate and that the, that the doors, the gates and the bars. And when you get into a study on Nehemiah, you start to understand because he goes over and over and over again, the doors, the gates, the bars, the hinges, okay? You've got to understand that appropriately working walls, not only do they keep things out, but they got to let things in and out, right? And so there's got to be these gates. They have to be functioning, but there has to be safety and security. And so there's this big aspect of thinking about the walls of a city and thinking about rebuilding on solid foundations and making sure. And that was the first part of what he did when he went around those walls was to see what can we work with here? He didn't take everything down. He didn't throw it all away and say, let's start again. And I got to tell you something, church, we're not meant to do that either. There are some things that are salvageable here. First and foremost, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Secondly, according to Paul in Ephesians, the apostles and the prophets as being those who can call out the way to build this thing. Are you with me? And then it comes down to each and every member of the body bringing a peace. You know, you read the book of Nehemiah and he calls out, it was this family, this tribe that built this part of the wall. And it is forever inscribed in that book who was responsible for it because they tied their heart and their family line, their generation to what it was doing. And I got to tell you, it's the walls, it's the foundations that make revival possible to burn through the generations. So, as I close this up, I just really want to speak to you if you're a reformer because I want I want to encourage you. Because being a reformer isn't as sexy as being a revivalist. You know, like you think about the revivalists, you think about their cadence, their tone, their charis- their charisma, right? What they can draw, the numbers of people. Guess what? Reformers will not be able to gather as large of crowds as revivalists will. Because revivalists are that, that bright and shining and loud and, and powerful fire. A reformer is like, let's go look at the foundation of the, of the building. Okay, let me tell you something. I worked across the street from the World Trade Center site when it was just a hole and when they were beginning to rebuild it. And nobody, nobody cared about the foundations. No one went, no one's like, oh, let's go because they're, they're pouring the foundations. And yet I looked at that thing all the time because I was right there. But when that thing was finally done and it was standing up in the sky, now everyone's taking pictures of it, Freedom Tower, this is amazing. But I gotta tell you something, one of the most beautiful aspects of that building now is when you go down into the into the bottom where the footprint is and they are celebrating the foundations. And I believe that this is the season that we're coming into. But if you are a reformer and you're not able to gather those large crowds to the sound that you're making, you might think that you're failing. And I want to speak to you right now and I want to say you are not failing. You continue to do the good work that God has called you to do. You stand steadfast and don't be moved. Think about Nehemiah when he looked at that task that was before him. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't exciting. He, it was hard for him to gather. Remember that there had been people that had gone before him to try and rebuild the temple and, and things. And, and it, and it was hard work and the enemy was very much against it. And then he comes in there and he tries to rile up the people to build the walls, rebuild the walls. And the enemy comes and the enemy is after him. 
nonstop. And, you know, that's where we get that that quote in his book of, you know, I will not come down to the valley of, oh, no, why should the work of God stop? Why should the work of God stop? And that is what needs to get in you as a reformer. I pray that over you today, and I declare that over you today, that you would have a spirit of why should the work of God stop? Just because it's not as shiny as revivalist work, just because it's not as loud and as crowd gathering as the revivalist work? No, this is the season for the rise of the reformer. You are needed, and you need to be continually speaking the honest truth of God, the 100% biblical truth of God, the uncomfortable compromising, non-negotiating word of God. You need to be talking about going back to the foundations, going back to the love of Christ, looking at the life of Jesus and reminding people of how he did it, how he said it. This is so valuable in the season, especially with this generation that's coming up because they have some of the most unique innovation of any generation that we have seen, and yet they have a deep and abiding desire and need for a strong foundation. We have to bring them back to the foundations. We have to, because it's for lack of telling this generation about the stories of God as they truly were, that rebellion comes. That's what the Bible tells us. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're a reformer, stay the course. Like I said, it's it's not going to be as exciting. You may not be able to gather as many as a crowd. You know, you ain't going to be the mega church talking about it. But the reality is, you are vital. You're vital. Because I truly believe that in these next few years, the next five to 10 years, the church is going to look very different. And I believe, you know, my church and I and other churches that have heard this call, we have a mandate to help people get across the river, through the river, and to get where Jesus is right now, not stuck in our patterns, not stuck in our old worship, not stuck in the way that is comfortable and the way that we learned how to do it and the way that was producing back then. God has moved. And we need to have a heart that says, you know what? We're going to go wherever you go, Lord. We won't go without you, but we're not going to fall behind either. And he's going across this river. And it's almost like a baptismal event where we can be refreshed. We can be refreshed. And I truly believe that revival in this season is going through that river where the reform is happening. It's on the other side. He's rebuilding um, you know, the, the desolations, Isaiah. He's rebuilding those desolations, those torn down cities and those places that we never thought would be fruitful again. But he's doing it because the foundation has always stayed the same, Jesus Christ. And he's raising up the reformers to call out the pattern and the plan so that we might see the goodness of God fully come and the revival fires continue to burn into the next generation. Amen. All right, friend. Well, that's what I got for you this week. I pray you have a really good week and I'll talk to you soon.